0: Okay, so who's in the mood of a good story? Yeah, a good story? No, everyone likes a good story. All right, we got a really good story. We got a fantastic story tonight. Um, The story is what I would call classic tragedy. Tragic story. Fellow that has just boundless potential, amazing potential, the sky's the limit. For what this uh, this individual can accomplish, his life ends tragically it ends actually in suicide and the potential at a young age and his potential is uh, if we can say this um, you know his potential is lost forever like any good like like many good stories you can't see this is
1: one of those stories. Shakespeare-
0: it yeah there yeah we're going to identify tra- the tra- the tragic flaw that brings down this individual so in many respects that's a, that's a very accurate statement we're going to start like many good stories at the end the final scene and then we're going to wind our way backwards to see how we got there and what the significance of the final scene really is you like the setup so far okay let's begin sounds like twilight zone imagine we're not no, no. No Twilight Zone at all. Not sci-fi. This is totally, totally uh, biblical drama. Alright, scriptural drama. Let's begin on page 139. What we're going to do is we're going to begin at the end. This is the final scene of a fellow who, as I mentioned before, had amazing, amazing potential. Not only potential, but he was a leader in his time. A brilliant individual. But before I give too much away about his life and his background, Let's just, I'll just mention his name. His name was Ahitophel. I don't know what the, Engli- the, uh, the English version of his name is, but in, in the Hebrew, in Scripture, it's, his name is Ahitophel. He lived during the times of King David. Some of you may have heard about him, some of you are hearing about him for the first time. It's okay, either way, it's fine. Here is the last scene of Ahitophel's life, before he takes his life. Text 1 on page 139. Nadina Malka, take it away. This is the Talmud telling us what happened in those faithful moments before his death.
1: Our rabbis have taught, Ahitohol commanded his children three things before his death. One, do not enter into the world. Two, do not rebel against the sovereignty of David. Three, if the weather is clear on the holiday of Shavuos, plant wheat.
0: You got that? Three things. Number one, don't quarrel. Don't enter quarrel. Number two, don't rebel against David. King David. Number three, <laughs> it's like the farmer's almanac. If the wet right, if, or, or like um, Punksatani Phil. Come from I'm a Pennsylvania guy, right? So if, uh, when is it? Groundhog's Day? If it's shadow, then it'll be another so many weeks of winter. Okay, if the we- weather is clear on Shavuos, then you should plant wheat. Okay. I'm gonna instead of me asking questions, I'm gonna open up the floor, ask whatever questions come to mind about these three statements of Achitofel before his passing. Again, I have not fully introduced who he was. I have not. We have not set up the context of why it is his his final moments on this earth. But this these are his final instructions to his children. And 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 if we can foreshadow this a little bit without giving away too much, if we understand this fellow Achitofel to be a tremendous tremendous individual that has amazing potential and amazing talent and yet has a tragic flaw, we can perhaps understand that he is trying to instruct his family to avoid the flaw that is bringing him down in this very moment. But with that in mind, let's ask some basic questions on his three statements. Anybody? Yeah.
1: So it doesn't seem that the three have the same weight.
0: (coughs) Okay, explain. It
1: seems like the first two are very, very solid advice for For the Jews, and then the third one about planting wheat. First of all, can you plant on the holiday?
0: Well, if you see, see it on the holiday, then the day after—that's you can twist it like that.
1: Okay, so the planting wheat...
0: But it's still it's weak. weak. I would, I, I still, I, I like where you're going with this. Continue, continue the question. Or
1: well, the three. Yeah. About, the first two I can put together. This, the third one seems like it's in another realm, but then again, it might not because.
0: Because plant wheat might have a deeper meaning, but that was... All right, well, I'll slow that down. Yes, it obviously does, but before we get... But what's the basic question?
1: The basic question is
0: that the first two I could put in the same category, and the third one
1: doesn't... The first two sound like moral advice. The third one sounds like a parting sense of
0: humor. It's like yeah, plant wheat, it's like, what? Yeah, what? like what? Are you serious? He needs to give farming tips? To, like, before his passing, right in those days it wasn't a joke. <laughs> nah, that's right. You you have to you got to know when to put that weed into the ground. Okay, that's one question. Any other questions that you have on this text uh, on the on the on his final instructions, his last full oh. and testament?
1: Unless they wanted the wheat to grow to be ready for the next
0: festival. All right. So, but but even so, is that like the final instruction that's very important to to, to like transmit, like final words? Know when to plant your wheat. Don't make the mistake that I've made. I mean, or, is that really? Yeah. I, I mean, it could, could be. Very mundane, though, for a person's final moments. Yeah.
1: Well, if you look at it, it really is like, you know, don't forget about tomorrow.
0: I mean, okay, I hear you. Oh, I hear you. Don't forget to plan. It
1: goes into context with the other, other statements.
0: I hear you. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that. We're going to take a different angle when we when we explore a deeper level, but I, but I, like, but I like that. I was just saying. Anybody have a question about the first two? Because we're focusing on the third. The third is the obvious. Like that's the one of them is not like the other. Whatever that song was, right? This is certainly that number three certainly does not fit in. Any questions about one and two? Yeah. So
1: you gave a hint that maybe that's something he did that he found out he shouldn't have
0: done. Did yeah, he
1: quarrelled or he maybe questioned the
0: sovereignty that they didn't? Need. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, and we'll see how that plays out. But any question about number one? And, any question about number one and two? You're giving an answer. Any questions about one and two? Is one and two okay? Are one and two okay? They, they seem to be okay. Here's, here's my question. If you're not entering a quarrel, you're not rebelling. Right. Once you have your first instruction, do not enter into quarrels, then automatically, number two, you're not going to rebel against the sovereignty of David. What do you need? Both. I, okay, I know that that's nitpicking. But really, his point could be, don't enter conflict. And then if you're not entering conflict with anybody, you're not rebelling against the king and entering in conflict and trying to overthrow the, the monarchy. I mean, that's also a conflict that you shouldn't be entering into. Correct? Yeah, let's hold the weaver's a let Let's hold on to the week. Yeah. Is it, um,
1: did not enter into quarrels. Is he talking about don't get into a quarrel with somebody or don't get into somebody else's quarrel?
0: That's, and that's a very good question. I like it. The original is al which to me more accurately translates: "Do not be a quarreler. Do not be one that engages in quarrel. Not enters into." I, I know the translation sounds like you're don't step into a pre-existing quarrel. Like we we, we had the pre-Passover class about the the chagaja with the dog and the cat, and he's biting the cat because the cat ate the 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 kid. And who are you to enter into the quarrel that's not yours? That to me in the original in the Talmud, altiu it doesn't say al, doesn't say don't enter. The, the means don't be bimachlokas in quarrel, don't be in quarrel in state of quarrel, as opposed to don't enter into quarrel at the way it's translated here. So I think it's it's somewhat of a of a mistranslation, or that gives it perhaps a shading of inaccuracy But the deal is, don't be a quarreler, don't be in quarrel. Um, if so, you're not rebelling either. That's that's my question. So yeah.
1: I have I mean, there's a lot of sibling rivalry
0: So don't enter into quarrels with each other Or just in general in ge- Sounds like in general Sounds like this is general advice to his family To his kids Die. So I, I want to crystallize the questions like this Number one If we have the first question that we're going to And all these questions will be answered throughout the lesson The first question that we're asking is If you have the instruction not to enter into quarrels What do you need the instruction not to rebel against David We get it, you're not entering quarrels No conflict, no rebellion, it's the same thing Number two, what is the significance of planting wheat if the weather is clear on Shavuos? First of all, what's the connection between clear weather on Shavuos and planting wheat? Number two, why is any of that so important to leave as a last will and testament? You could leave that before your final instructions. Why is that like the penultimate instruction before, before his passing? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. And number three, huh? Yeah, but wait and the third question is you know and this is it's not really a question but more of a of something that's driving us toward um, understanding it in certain context Achitofel as we'll see soon was a brilliant human being a brilliant human being who was a, a, a brilliant man and Achitofel if he is giving three gems of insight before his passing and you can be sure that they are indeed, that they can be indeed classified as gems. So, pass this down, um, And so if these are his final instructions, then there's got to be a deeper significance. It can't just be about not quarreling and not rebelling and planting wheat. There's got to be something much more significant than that to the instructions that he's giving his family. So we began, so we're beginning this story at the end of the story, the end of Ahitophel's life, right before his tragic death, analyzing his three instructions to his children. We've asked several questions and now what we're going to do is I'm going to, Adam, I'm going to answer your question in, right now, but now what we're going to do is just to just to kind of uh, give you a prelude to what, what the next part of the, part, of, part of the class is. We're going to be going back and understanding who Ahitophel was. What was his story? What was his history? What was the context? And why was he dying? Why was he about to take his life more accurately? And uh, and, and, and once we understand that, we can perhaps understand a little bit better what why he said these three instructions as his final words, Adam? Can
1: we figure at least that this has something to do with the holiday? Uh, yes,
0: yes. Which is why, by the way, we're studying it now. Something to do with what? the holiday of Shavuos. Yeah, it, it certainly has something to do with Shavuos. Yeah, for sure. That's and again, as I just said, that's why we're that's why we're studying this story this week. It's not related to the parasha, to the Torah portion of Naso. It's not related to the portion. It's related to Shavuos. Shavuos is mentioned. We're going to see soon the significance between Shavuos and planting wheat. Because again, it sounds completely random. Okay, These are the three, these are the three statements of Ahitophel. We've asked three questions on the statements. Now, on his last Will and Testament, now we need to understand, we need to go back to the beginning. Who was he? Ahitophel was born in a suburb of Jerusalem. And he lived in the times of King David. King David lived about a thousand years before the turn, before our common era. So, if in the English secular calendar we're in the year 2012, so King David lived between like 1040 and 970, between basically around a thousand years before our common era. So, figure we're dealing with an era that dates back about 3,000 years. Achitophel is known in his generation to be the absolute most brilliant person he is the most brilliant Torah scholar he is the most brilliant advisor he's advisor he's an advisor to kings and to ministers when anybody is looking for advice whether it's Torah advice or military advice he is the go-to guy if you need something that requires brain pra- brain power crunching information giving you a good, a good plan, a good, good strategy. Achitofel is your man. Achitofel is also the head of the Sanhedrin. He was the nasi. You know what nasi is? Nasi is the prince. He was the prince. What is a prince? Prince is not the king. Not, not a prince in the sense of the son of the king. He was the prince in the sense of he was the head of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was the high court. The Jewish high court it was comprised of seventy-one judges. Seventy-two, seventy-one, seventy-plus judges and he was the, you have to understand the high court the Jewish high court was comprised of the most brilliant Torah scholars of all of the brilliant scholars he was the head he was like the supreme justice of the of, of, of the supreme court the Jewish supreme court so needless to say he was a brilliant fellow in fact let's see how scripture complements um, the brilliance of Achitofel in text 2a on page 140 Money take it away No, no, this is, this is actual scripture. That's the...
1: Go back from one to
0: another, Samuel. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first quote that we had before about his final words before his death um, and his will and testament, that was from the Talmud. Now we're going to... We're kind of tracing who he was. We're going back to the book of Samuel.
1: Flashbacks. Flashbacks. The council of Akitofo, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man inquired of the word of God. So all... Counsel, so all the counsel of what
0: does that verse mean to you? His counsel was as if a man inquired of the word of God. What does that, what does that mean? What does that evoke, a sense of? It seemed like he, had a godly connection. he had a godly connection. If you asked him advice, he, when he gave counsel, it would, you, you could follow that counsel as if you had inquired directly of God and God had given you the answer. In fact, we spoke about Cree and Ksiv a few weeks ago. When was it a few weeks ago? When you have something in Torah written one way and pronounced another way. Remember we had this this concept? So if you look in the original Hebrew in text 2A, you see that there's a word in parentheses. See that? Text 2A. Which word is in parentheses? Ish. What does the word ish mean? Man. Do you know why it's in parentheses? Because it's not there in the original. To A, Ish, right there in the parentheses. Okay? You know why Ish is in parentheses? Because it's not there in the original. In scripture itself, it's not there. In the, cre- in the ksiv, in the written scroll, the written text, it's not there. When we read it, we add in the word Ish. Do you know why? Because without it, you know what it reads? When you asked Him, you were asking God. Mm. So we modified and we said when you were asking Him, you were like asking a man who was like asking God. But you throw in the modifier of man because otherwise it's like, whoa, too like, it's, it's almost too spooky. But that's what it's written. It says that when you asked Him, His advice, mm-hmm. which He gave advice in those days, mm-hmm. it was like you were asking God. It's not like it was as if a man inquired God, because he was the man inquiring God, and then he gave you the answer, it was like you were directly inquiring of God. That's, that's heavy stuff. The Torah scripture, the books of the prophets, scriptures, etc., do not refer to anyone's advice, anyone's counsel, in such a way. Achitofel is a tremendous, tremendous mind. Brilliant
1: skull.
0: It's a tragedy precisely because of how Brilliant and 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 just what what type of person he was, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, he not only was he a brilliant scholar and head of the Jewish High Court, he was also an individual that held tremendous political influence. He was an advisor to King David not only was he an advisor to King David he was the chief advisor to King David so King David again was the king in, the, in that time he lived during king David 's reign and he was king David's chief advisor. If he needed advice, military advice or otherwise, Achitofel was the one to ask. So those that needed advice in Torah, Achitofel was asked. Military strategy, Achitofel was asked. You get a sense of how brilliant all around this fellow was. Take a look. Well, wait, let me just read the text that supports my assertion, because I could just be making this up. Text 2B from the book of Chronicles spells this idea out. I'm running continue because it's uh, you got a short one too, eh? A.
1: The arch, archite, was the king's friend.
0: So there in Chronicles, it mentions two people that were close to King David. Ahitophel is the king's chief counselor and advisor. And Hushai, the Archite, all right, there's another fellow mentioned. You'll see how he, he becomes a, a very important figure in, in the story of Ahitophel very soon. But Hushai is the king's friend. So you've got to have friends. You've got to have advisors. You've got people that you can trust as a friend. That you can share with, perhaps. And then you have to have people that can give you brilliant, spot-on, incisive advice and counsel. Yes, yeah, perhaps. But right, yeah, it could be. But I'm more looking at at at, uh, at Achitofel, not really as Gvura, which is more of the sternness, but more of just the brilliance, just a mind that was able to. He had everything clear. Sort of, you know, you meet people and they have everything clear in their head. There's not one thing that's like that's unsorted. It's, everything is clear, systematic, lined up, filed away. Any question, boom, here's your answer, here's your answer. Very clear. Un- he had everything locked away. Now, here's what happens. Achitofel is this brilliant fellow, head of the Sanhedrin. He's the Nassim. He's also chief advisor to King David. Everything begins to unravel. And here's how. Here's what happens. King David's third son, his name was Avshalom. Again, I'm not saying the English version of the names. I think it's uh, Ab, uh, Absalom. 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 It's Avshalom is in the in the original. Avshalom is the third son of King David, a young fellow, charismatic, very handsome, builds a following. What do you think he decides to do? What do you say? Take the throne. Take the throne. Exactly. Not unlike your average game of chess. He's going right after the king, the queen, whatever, he's going right after the throne. Avshalom says to himself, that's it, I want this throne, my father's getting older, my father's the old generation, he's on his way out. So again, we're talking about Avshalom right now. Avshalom begins gathering people, gathering a, a following, gathering warriors, gathering advisors in order to overthrow his father, take the throne, and become the new king. What happens next? Achitofel, the chief advisor to King David, jumps ship and switches teams. And now he becomes the chief advisor to Avshalom in his bid to take over the throne. And all of the commentators are asking the question. What's the question that they're asking? Why did he jump ship? You have a fellow who's a brilliant Torah scholar, chief advisor to King David, and suddenly his third son, not Solomon, Avshalom, there's a handsome and charismatic fellow. Why is he jumping ship? Achitofel, I hope all the names are clear. Avshalom is the son, Achitofel is the advisor. Achitofel is now jumping ship from Team David to Team Avshalom. Why? So, well, why do you think? If I ask you... said
1: he had
0: a hatred. Where? The great hatred. Okay, well that, uh, that's going to be our second answer. There's an answer before that it's not in the text. Various commentaries in Midrashim and the top... Give us insight into what happens behind the scenes here, but but I would ask you, thinking about it in the context of rivalries and thrones and air and and, and and kings and why do you think Achitophel jump ship to become the advisor for Avshalom? Think deviously. To have more power, can
1: manipulate Avshalom. Shalom.
0: Manipulate Avshalom too. You
1: know, to do to, so you have you're
0: not thinking evil enough. A woman? No, no, no. Powers in. No. Women? I'm gonna give it away. What did he want to become himself? That's it. I knew I would give it away. He according to the Talmud there's just Talmud, according to the Midrashim, he wanted to become king. So he says, You know how this is gonna happen? We get the infighting to happen, we get the son to try to, to fight against the father. Through this war everyone's gonna it's gonna be all chaos. And I'll be the one that kind of rises to the top and takes it. Step into the vacuum. Step into the vacuum while they're killing each other. So he's all about Avshalom fighting the father, fathering, fighting King David. Because so long as they're fighting, he now has an entryway. If they kill each other, if their armies kill each other, boom! Vacuum, void of uh, vacuum of power, and he can step into the vacuum. Make sense? It gets even better.
1: What makes it?
0: He was a brilliant man. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> this was his strategy. He, he didn't, this was not by gut, this was by, this was by strategy. And by the way, as the story progresses, you'll see that he was actually right. And it would have worked, if not for, some, not everything we can plan. But we'll see soon how, what, what happens. Before we get there, one more, one more detail. Sages tell us that in addition to his brilliance, of, in Torah wisdom and in military uh, strategy, Ahitophel was also an astrologist. He practiced astrology, which is understanding or des- deciphering the position of the planets, of the stars and the suns, in order to figure out how that's going to influence earthly uh, affairs. He sees in the stars that he is destined to be king. He sees that his destiny... There's genetic destiny for royalty with him. And so he says, Let me make this happen. How am I gonna make this happen? Turn, help the son, fight the father, and in that vacuum, in that chaos, in that in that struggle for the for the throne, for the crown, I'm gonna I'll have my opportunity. Our sages tell us similar to Pharaoh, he saw, but he didn't know what he was seeing. You know, Pharaoh saw that Moses would be killed by water. So he, threw, he decreed that all the Jewish boys be thrown into the Nile River. Moses eventually, his downfall eventually came through hitting the rock, which produced water, instead of speaking to the rock. So Moses' downfall did happen through water. Moses was the savior, That was the savior of the Jewish people, I mean God obviously, but he was the leader, and his downfall did come through water, but Pharaoh misinterpreted what he saw regarding the water. It wasn't the water of the Nile, it was the water of the rock. The same thing is true with regard to Achitofel. He saw that there was royalty in his blood, but it wasn't meant to be him. Do you know who it was meant to be? This is a very important detail. His great-grandson. You know who his great-grandson was? King Solomon. His granddaughter, this adds another layer to the story, which is going to be very important soon. Achitofel's granddaughter is none other than Bathsheba. Listen, again, Achitofel is the advisor to King David. His son's daughter is Bathsheba, the woman who David sees and takes a liking to. Has her husband sent to the front where he dies? Then she becomes available. He marries her and their son is King Solomon. Is Solomon who would, who would ultimately inherit David's throne. So what do we have here? We have a few things. But let's get back to... to... Yes, oh, this is, this is... It's only starting. Now, understand, understand, understand... Before we move further, understand that his vision, his astrological vision, was such that he saw royalty in his blood. But again, he saw, but he didn't see accurately. He saw something, and he j- jumped to a conclusion and said, oh, so I need to pit these two against each other so I can be... It wasn't meant to be you, Achitofel, it was your, grand, your, your, your granddaughter's son, Bathsheba's son, Solomon, who would become royalty. So he misinterpreted it, that, but that's why he was, the question we ask is, why did he jump ship? Why did he join team of Shalom? Because he wanted that, that infighting, he wanted that, 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 that fighting so that there would be a clash of the titans so that he could rise. Now, here's a second reason, the Radak gives. Radak, David Kimchi. He writes text number three, I'm going to paraphrase it, then we're going to read it inside. That there was another reason here, based on the same story that I just told Batsheva. His granddaughter's husband was a fellow named Uriah. Uriah Hiti. Uriah, what happened to him? He was a warrior. Uriah was married to Batsheva. David sees Batsheva, he wants to marry her. That's the PG version. Okay, he wants to marry her. Now, what happened, what, he, what he does is he sends off Uriah to the front, as I mentioned, and Uriah is killed. According to the Radak, grandfather, Achitofel, is so upset about David wrecking, meddling into his granddaughter's family and marriage and sending his Grand, is there a possibility of a grandson-in-law yeah it's to the front yeah grandson-in-law so to speak to the front to meet his end that he desires nothing more than to exact revenge against King David and to kill him with his own hands because of King David sending baksheva's husband his granddaughter's husband to the front so that he could marry her understand this is makes sense text number three I'm trying to take it away 140
1: great hatred that Ahitophel had toward David to the point that he suggested to Avshalom to kill him was because of the story with Bathsheba. Our sages said that Bathsheba was Ahitophel's granddaughter.
0: And, and since the, she was his granddaughter, <laughs> he was upset about what happened when King David had done. He wanted revenge. So when Avshalom uh, begins this rebellion, he jumps right on it. Here's what happens. What happens is, let's get back to the rebellion. Avshalom builds a following and they become so powerful, they become so intense that King David is actually fleeing Jerusalem. He has to run for his life because a revolt is happening. There's a coup in progress and Avshalom, his third son, with Ahitophel, the advisor, they are leading the charge. And so King David actually takes his men and he actually has to leave, run for his life out of Jerusalem. Here's how the scene is described in the book of uh, the book of Samuel, text 4a. Take it away, Howard. David said to all his servants
1: that were with him in Jerusalem, "Arise and let us flee, for there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he hurry and overtake us." And bring upon us evil and smite the city with the edge of the sword. It was told to David, saying, Architophel is among the conspirators with, with Absalom." Shalom. And David said, I beg you, O Lord, make foolish the counsel of Ab- Absalom." David was coming to the top where he would prostrate himself to God, and behold, and behold, towards him came.
0: Uh, and archite
1: with his shirt torn and earth upon his head. And David said to him, If you pass on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and you say to Absalom, I, O king, will be your servant, just as I was previously your father's servant, and now I am your servant, then you will be able to frustrate for me. Of by serving as my secret agent in the
0: court of See what happens So he's, David is fleeing he hears that Aitohel is the chief advisor he says this is, this is terrible stuff. he says he prays to God God, let Akchiitohel's uh, counsel be made foolish. Then the next scene the next thing you know he's meeting Hushai the archite. we know Hushai who's Hushai? His friend. his friend, right? We had that in text number 2B. Ahitophel was the king's counselor and Hushai the Archeh was the king's friend. So now he meets his friend and his friend is, his clothes are ripped and his ashes on his head. What is he doing? He's mourning. So King David's like, dude, we're trying to run away and you're like all getting all like depressed and mourning state here. Listen, you're not going to do us any good. You're going to wear You're going to just drag us down. You want to be useful? Go back and go pledge allegiance. Feign. Allegiance. Pretend that you're pledging allegiance to Avshalom. In the meantime, do whatever you can to frustrate their efforts to take me. Take me out. That's what he says. You become a spy. Secret agent. That's it. No, 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 not a double agent. No, double agent is that if... Whatever. Anyway, so you become a secret spy. Secret agent. Now, what... Okay, so it makes sense so far? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so it happens. And so it happens that um, uh, Hushai goes into the court of Avshalom, and he, or to, to where Avshalom is hanging out, and he says, I, I, I'm leaving your, I see that uh, your father is on his way out, I want to pledge my allegiance to you, I'm your faithful servant, just as I was faithful to your father, it's, now all, it's all you. And he trusts him. Let's step away from that for a second. Avshalom and Achitofel. Achitofel is now his chief advisor, and he's well renowned for his brilliance and uh, and and great advice. Achitofel gives two pieces of advice, two pieces of counsel to the upstart Avshalom, and here they are: Text four B. Um, Howard, continue. Text four B, one forty two. First piece of advice that Eichtevul gives to Shalom is violate your father's concubines on the roof, in eyeshot of everybody. They even set up a big tent under the big top. What is? Why do you think he gave that advice? What's the message of that? For
1: a second uniform, I guess.
0: It's even deeper than that.
1: I'm
0: afraid of them. Oh. Here's the deal. Yeah, but it's it's, it's, it's it's so it's so brilliant. Here's, here's what it is. Achitofel, the brilliant advisor, is concerned that people, the supporters of Avshalom, are only going to be supporting halfway. Why? Because they're, they're afraid. Because at any moment, Avshalom could back off and say to his father, you know what? I don't want the throne. I'm going to reconcile. And you know what happens then? Avshalom is reconciled. What about all the supporters of Avshalom? They're they're traitors. So if you're support... So Achitofel, sorry, Avshalom, the son, could still reconcile with his father. still possible. He started the overthrow, he started that, and then he realized it was a bad idea. I love you, Dad. Big embrace, curtains come down. But you know what else goes down? The heads of those that supported it, because they're not family, so they're out. So people are wary, we're wary, of supporting full-on Avshalom. So Achitofel says to Avshalom, you know how to get people on your side to, make, to show them that you're serious about this rebellion thing. So you get full-on commitment, break completely. Violate your father's concubines. There's no turning back after that. That's, that's like a big slap in the face to your father. And once that happens, for you there's no turning back. And once people see that, that you're, you're 100% in this, you're all in, there's no turning back for you, there'll also be no turning back for them. You understand the, you understand the advice? Advice makes sense?
1: About
0: him, but that's it. Yeah, that's another issue. That's yeah, exactly. It's good. It's it's part of. I was saying it's good to be, but it's part of being the king. I'm not saying good or bad or I'm. I'm not getting involved. It's a It's ah, anyway. It's yeah. So again, again, let's, let's 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 refocus back here. First piece of advice is you gotta demonstrate to your followers that you're serious about this rebellion thing. That you're not going to back off. You're not going to change your mind. You're not going to have second thoughts and reconcile. Because otherwise, they're not giving it their all because they don't really they don't know that you're serious. You've got to do something so drastic and break with your father so severely that everyone realizes that it's done. We're all in. That's it. We're taking over. It's done. That's number one. Second piece of advice. Second piece of advice was that Avshalom and his 12,000 military men should go immediately that night pursue David and kill him. No holds barred. Right now, he's on his heels. He's fleeing. Now's the time. He's vulnerable. Go for the kill right now. Don't gather more troops. Don't delay. Get him right now. Text four C. All right. So says, let me now tonight." So let me put this together. We got to do this now." Continue. I'll come upon him while he's weary and you can do. And,
1: and all the people that are with him will flee. And I'll make the king alone. I'll bring back all the people to you, and all shall return the
0: man whom seek. And all And for some reason, the translation there actually makes no sense in the last sentence. But it doesn't make a difference. The point is, we understand what he's saying. He's saying, "Let's go now. The kill is now. We got to move now. Twelve thousand people. I'll put them together. I will bring back." King David's body, myself. I am going to kill him. And he says, he says um, I will smite the king alone. By the way, this is why the Radak says that he had a personal vendetta against King David. It wasn't just he wanted to be king. He actually wanted to get revenge against David for killing his granddaughter's husband. That's why he says, I want his blood on my hands. I want to kill him. Let, 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 let this happen. This is his advice. First advice Drastic break with your father, no reconciliation, no room for questioning. Is he in? Is he not in? We're in. Number two, right now, go for the kill. Here's what happens. The friend of King David. What was his name? Hushai. Hushai knows that King David is weak and weary, and he's on his heels. Hushai knows that if he's in this position, there's only one thing that he must do, and that is dissuade Avshalom from pursuing now. Give, give King David a chance to regroup, gather more people, and hopefully defend himself. So what, is, what does he say? Hushai says, he appeals to Avshalom's ego, in a sense. And he says to Avshalom, you're going to go right now with 12,000 men, just gather up troops and go, you know, chaotically after You've got to do this right. You, got to get, you have to gather troops from all of Israel from the north to the south and amass a huge army and then march against David and do it right. Do it like a king. So he appeals to his wanting to feel like a king instead of just running now haphazardly and, and getting him, you know, hunting him down. You got to do this right. And of course, we know the end of the story. Or maybe we don't know the end of the story. The end of the story is that because Hushai delayed... And so I, Avshalom chooses to heed the advice of Hushai, who was the spy, who was the secret agent, who was not on his side, and he chooses not to listen to Avshalom, to Ahitophel, who had the sound advice. Had he pursued him that night, all indications are that he would have been killed. I mean, God runs the world, but natural means, he was on his heels, it was done. They were weak, they were tired, they were weary, it was over. But he doesn't listen, Avshalom does not listen to Ahitophel's advice, chooses instead to listen to the Hushai, the friend. Hushai's advice allows King David to regroup, reorganize, heal, and, uh, and fortify himself. And ultimately in the battle, in the final epic battle between father and son, Abshalom is killed. King David returns to his, to his throne and all is well. All ends well. At least for King David. What happens to Achitofel? Achitofel doesn't wait for the end of the story. You know why? He knows how it's going to end. The moment the king says to him, "I'm going to listen. I'm going to heed Chusha's advice," is the moment that he knows how it's going to end. King David. It's almost like you know those movies where the bad guy gives the good guy a chance, like, "Oh, you stay here locked up while I go make myself a sandwich," and then the guy like escapes, and then you know the whole, right? <laughs> Possibly. Okay. So here's the point. So Ach- Achitofel sees the handwriting on the wall. And Achitofel recognizes, listen, it's done. It's over. We're not presumed tonight. King David's going to win, and we're out. And I'm, I'm and I'm going to be killed. And he says, "I'm going out on my own terms." So he knows that in this moment, he treachery, treason, going against the king, um, he's going to be def- he'll probably be killed. Certainly, def- even if not killed for whatever reason, knocked down from his post as, uh, as as head of the Supreme Court. I mean, he is now his life is done. So he decides to take his own life, suicide. Let's take a look at text 4d. Yaakov, take it away. 4D, 144.
1: Akitophel saw that his counsel was not done. He saddled his
0: donkey. What does he mean, not done? That it was not followed. Yeah, continue.
1: He saddled his donkey and he arose and he went to his house, to his city. He gave charge to his household, he strangled himself, and he died. And was buried in the tomb of his father.
0: And this is the end, the tragic end of Achitofel. Ahitofel, the most brilliant man of his generation, prolific Torah scholar advisor to kings, who indeed was always right, it seems, except for his choices. We could argue that his choices weren't. But he, his strategy was seems to have been always right. He ends, tragically, taking his own life. But notice what Scripture says before he killed himself. What did he do? party <laughs> To his what does that mean? He gave charge to his household. Ah, that that oh, gave charge to his household means that he advised him. He gave char- he gave final a final will and testament to his family before he took his life. And what was the final will and testament? Well, we already saw that. That was at the beginning, huh? Plant wheat. Now you. Now we ask the question. Now we get back to our questions. Say here, you have this fellow who is in such a desperate moment, taking his own life. Who's seen everything that he's lived for come crashing down, and all of his latest ambitions, his all everything is gone, and he's giving. He's mindfully. He's not. He's he's ta- he's decided to take his own life. He gives his final words to his household. His final piece of advice is: if the weather's clear and Shavuot is, plant wheat. It's ludicrous. The weather's clear on Shabbos and never, you know, never go out of the house without SPF you know, 15 at least or 30. I mean, come on. I mean, that's already good advice. I mean, <laughs> It's health advice. Planting wheat. Now, which, which piece of advice do we understand? Which? He had three points that he told his children. Which one makes a lot of sense? Which one makes more sense? Don't mess with King David. Number two, piece of advice number two was, do not rebel against the sovereignty of David. Well, we understand why he said that. Because that's why he's about to take his life, because he defected away from David. So he's like, don't mess with King David. Number one. Don't quarrel. Okay, it sounds redundant still. And then plant wheat. Let's understand this on a much deeper level. In Pirkei in Ethics of the Fathers, it says there are three crowns. Let's read these three crowns. C.C. Take it away. text 5, 145.
1: Rabbi Shimon would say there are three crowns: the crown of Torah, the crown of priesthood, and the crown of royalty.
0: What this means is very simple: there are three areas in life that are worth pursuing. There are three crowns worth wearing in life. There are many pursuits that one could could have could entertain. There are pursuits for money, for other things, but there are three things that are really valuable, and they are Torah, priesthood, and royalty. What do they represent? In perhaps more universal language. They represent three pursuits of honor. Number one, the pursuit of wisdom. Torah equals wisdom. Priesthood equals meaning and spirituality. And royalty equals influence and leadership. These are three noble ambitions to attain, three crowns that are worthy of wearing. Attaining a stature of wisdom. It's a noble pursuit to be wise, to attain wisdom. It's a good, it's a good idea. To attain, holy, uh, to attain meaning and spirituality in your life. Absolutely a noble va- virtue. And to have influence on the world. Also a noble value. Within each of these three pursuits though, you can have it in a healthy way and an unhealthy way. Even though these are three areas that we refer to as crowns that, are, that sound like, these, as I said, the way I'm referring to it, healthy, noble ambitions Nonetheless, each has a dark side to it. There's a healthy side, and there's a dark side. Much like anything in life, there's light and shadow, and life exists in the interplay between light and shadow. There exists within these three pursuits, the light and the shadow. The good and the not so good. The good and the ugly. And the definition, the demarcation, that which flips the pursuit from a healthy place to an unhealthy place, from light to darkness, is one word. And that word is ego, or self. At the moment that it becomes about self, the pursuit turns from being a noble pursuit to becoming a destructive pursuit. So the pursuit of wisdom is a noble pursuit. But the question is what, is, what is that pursuit predicated on? Is it predicated on self? Is it predicated on my wisdom, my... And I'm going to demonstrate clearly the down, soon the downfall of that approach. Is it based on self? Or is it based on an acknowledgement of a higher wisdom, of something greater than oneself? The pursuit of meaning... Am I defining my meaning? Am I the arbiter, the sole arbiter, the one the judge, jury, and execution of what it means to have meaning and what that means? Is, is my ego driving this pursuit? Or am I ready to submit and to acknowledge something higher, a higher meaning that stands outside of myself? And the same thing is true with influence. Is influence about me or is it about a higher experience? Is influence, is leadership about me wanting to be the king Or is it about acknowledging that there is a role that I need to play to influence the world that's a greater role than I could ever come up with? This is the demarcation. So all of these three can be healthy pursuits, and they're noble pursuits. What can turn them the other way is when ego gets involved and becomes a uh, self-obsessed experience. Now we understand, with that brief introduction, the three pieces of advice of Achitofel. Because Achitofel realizes one thing. He realizes that his life is over. And when in those final moments before he takes his own life, in a moment of, you know, who said a quiet desperation? Who was the philosopher that said, Lives at, uh, French, um, to French, to, so, to, to... Anyway, in a moment of perhaps quiet desperation, in, inward desperation... He is taking his own life, and he's reflecting on one thing, and that is that I was wrong. That I was wrong on all three levels. In my pursuit of wisdom, of meaning, and in leadership, my approach was skewed, was wrong, and that is why I am ending. My end is the way it is. Because it was about self, it wasn't about a higher experience. And he, 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 and he expresses this. In his three final statements to his children, giving them brilliant guidance for how to not make the same mistakes he made, how to live their lives in all three areas, three pieces of advice for these three areas in a healthy way, to not make the same mistakes, and indeed, in turn, he is giving us this advice as well. By the way, all of this comes from a letter. If you want to know where this explanation, before we give the explanation, letter comes from, a, this explanation comes from a letter that the Rebbe wrote. In nineteen forty nine, before he became Rebbe. A letter. This is this is the extent of the letter in Hebrew. All of this. Right. I'm not sure. Might be. Probably not. Possibly. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> if you want I can make a copy if anybody wants the letter. Um, here's what he realizes. He realizes that his life was driven by ego. And that's why he is experiencing downfall. And so he gives his children three pieces of advice that reflect the three areas and how to live them healthy. His first piece of advice, let's begin with number three. We're going to go backwards order, reverse order. His last piece of advice, the one that puzzled us the most, was, if it's clear and Shavuos, if the weather is clear, then you plant wheat. Let's understand what this means. Wheat, there are two grains which, uh, uh, by which the land of Israel is blessed. We know that Israel is blessed with seven types of food. There's the grape, there's the olive, there's the date, there's the pomegranate, there's the fig. Then, there are two grains. There's wheat and barley. And barley. Our sages say in Kabbalah, the Talmud, every, everyone's on the same page here. Barley is an animal food. Wheat is human food. The barley represents the animal, the wheat represents the human being. What differentiates, what is a major differentiator between the human and the animal is intelligence. That's why the Talmud says that until a child tastes grain, cereals, grains, until you give them that Gerber's with the little grain in there, the child doesn't have the intelligence to verbalize. Verbal communication, verbalization, speech is connected with a more advanced form of intelligence of the child. And that comes as a product of, uh, that comes through consuming wheat. Wheat is considered human food, that which expresses the human capacity for intelligence. And that which aids in that, uh, in that pursuit. Which is why, according to text 8 in the Talmud, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a stock of wheat. Tree of knowledge, of knowledge, wisdom, right? Intelligence. It was a stock of wheat. So when Adam, when Eve gave Adam, right, the food, the tree of knowledge, what did she give him? She gave him a loaf of bread. Mazeltab. Or some wheat. I don't know if he was eating raw wheat. It wasn't grapes squeezed into it wasn't an apple, sorry, it wasn't an apple. According to some it was grapes, but according to some it's a stock of wheat. What's the point? Well, let's 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 get back to the point here. I don't want to get too distracted. So wheat represents human food. But more than human food, it represents intelligence. Because what is the human being? The intelligent creature. Wheat represents intelligence. The pursuit of wisdom. Says Ahitofu to his children that where should wheat grow from? Which holiday? Shavuos. Your pursuit of wisdom has to be founded on a solid foundation of Torah. Shavuos. Shavuos is the holiday, the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. More importantly, our ability, our readiness to accept the Torah, to receive a higher wisdom, wisdom that is outside, that is greater, that completely transcends anything that we could attain on our own. That is what the holiday of Shavuos represents. Our submission to a higher wisdom. That where we say and Vinishma, we'll, we'll do and then we'll listen. We are ready to submit to a higher will, to a higher wisdom. <laughs> Says Ahitobel to his children, my life I've lived, I've, I'm the wisest person. This is between the lines. I'm the wisest person alive. My counsel is sought by everybody. By scholars, by lay people, by kings, by ministers. Everyone wants to know my advice. But in my mind, it's always been about me. I've been the sole arbiter, decisor of what is right and what is wrong. My wisdom was always predicated on ego and self. And look where it got me. It got me to make a choice to stage a rebellion that's ending my life right now. Achitof will recognized at the end of his life, in these final moments of desperation, if you will, that wisdom that is not founded on something greater can be just a fancy veneer to that which is despicable. As we've seen, we've seen many philosophies and many ideas and many many ethos that are just at at the core just a, a veneer, a, a, a coating to absolute. Reprehensible behavior. It can be all justified. If the mind, if the wisdom, if the intelligence is not rooted in something greater than itself, it can lead to a very destructive place. Adam.
1: Well, is, it, is there any connection, even an ironic connection? It sounds almost like what Solomon, who would benefit, if there's a benefit from this like,
0: by David's son kind of off offspring and and
1: him saying be, yeah
0: about vanity and wisdom yeah hevel have all call hevel yeah all is all is vanity all is not look there are, de- there are many many different ways to explain that phrase of king solomon that that he said at the end of his life um but one explanation could be where he sees that all the pursuits of worldliness, I mean, this is a general explanation, are all for nothing. Like you had to earn a little bit more money, you had a nicer house, a less nice house, a nicer car, not nice. at the end of the day, it's all vanity, it's all, it's all nothing. It's all, it's all like, you know, it's all mud, right? It's all mud. So I had a little bit more mud than you. Shkoyach. Mazel That's what you're happy about. A little bit more mud, a little bit shinier mud than you. <laughs> really, that's what, so that's how, that's how, you know, oftentimes King Solomon is understood as kind of, uh, not necessarily frustration, but like, uh, you know, this, this expression of, you know, what, what's it all worth at the end, all the materialism. But here, this point is specifically with regards to wisdom. You, when are you planting wheat on a clear day, a clear Shavuos day? Make sure that you have a clarity of what Shavuos represents, Make sure you have a clarity of what it means to submit your mind to something that's higher than it. That will keep it in control. That will make sure that your mind does not go to a place where it ought not go. Then your wisdom, then your wheat, will grow in a healthy way. But if your if the basis is my wheat, my wisdom on my terms, it can be a very destructive pursuit. Uh, you know we've had this quote many times, it's not in this class, probably because we've just quoted it so many times in in the Wednesday night class, where the Rebbe is speaking out of Fabrengan, and he says, I was in Germany. I was in Europe right before World War II. And they were quoting the philosophers, and they were listening to the classical music, and they were all proud of themselves, and their own, and they were the ones that came up with the methods and the machinery and the technology to kill, to mass kill, and take human life on a scale that the world has never seen. So where did all the wisdom and brilliance end up? In, in despicable horror. In, in unspeakable horror. So there's, there's your wisdom for you. Without an ultimate and absolute acknowledgement of that which transcends one's own ego and one, one's own mind, the mind can be a very dangerous place to be. This is the final, I'm going to move, I'm, we're going to hold questions now because I just want to, f- uh, I, I know no one's about to ask questions, or maybe, but I, I just want to move through the, the three pieces. This is piece number one, of, a piece of advice, just so that we get through it in context. So number three, we're starting with number three, plant your wheat on a clear day in Shavuos, which means that your wisdom has to be predicated on acceptance of higher wisdom, which is uh, symbolic of, uh, of Torah, Sinai, etc. Second piece of advice, we're going up, is don't contest the sovereignty of David. King David was a king. But King David, as we have in actual, actually several texts, 10, 11, 12a, 12b, 13, we have many texts that are very long that we're not going to read. I'll tell you what the upshot is. King David represents a king that is selfless. Okay. I know that King David had his story with Bathsheba and we have to understand how that understand that in context and how that happened did he sin? did he not sin? was it a moral failure, not a moral failure that's, we don't have time to pursue that story but our sages tell us that King David was humble and he was, he was a, he was a valiant warrior, he was a courageous warrior but as a, as a human being as a leader, he was all about the people, he was all about the people which is the definition, how Torah describes the role of a king The role of a king is to be a servant to the people. Not to be elevated above the people, but to serve the people. This is how, in general, Judaism looks at leadership. You're a servant to the people. You're not exalted. It's not like, I want to be the leader so that I can be above everybody. On the contrary, Hashem tells Moshe, your role is to carry the burden of the people. When they complain, when they ask, when they they get upset, you have to be there for them. That's your role. It's not to dance in the, in the limelight and, and jet off on your vacations and play 18 holes at uh, Pebble Beach. That's not your role as a leader. Your role is to be, to take care of the people, not to be elevated above the people. Your role is to carry the people. In one of the texts, there's a beautiful quote. It says, "...to carry the people. He shall pasture his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom." Carry the people, take the, You're all about the people. This is this is the Jewish notion of a king. And understand one thing: King David fasted and repented for 22 years following his incident with Bathsheba that we mentioned before. 22 years, unprecedented that a king should show remorse over what, over desiring another woman. Imagine Henry the Henry Henry, Henry, Louis, Henry the Eighth, Louis the Fourteenth, Peter the yeah, they're, all, they're all repenting over all their... Really? No. In the Jewish context of what a king means, what a leader means, it means that you are humble. And when you do something wrong, when something happens, you cop, you, 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 you stand up and you say, I, 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 I done wrong. The killing that, that Again, the, the Talmud says, I mentioned this last night, whoever says that King David sinned is a fool. So it wasn't a sin, according to the Talmud. What was it? The, 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 the prophet, Nathan the prophet, takes him to task. Brings an analogy that King David says, he says uh, somebody killed somebody to get somebody, somebody else's property. King David says, that guy should be punished. He's like, that guy's you. So certainly the, it seems clear that there was somewhat of a moral failure. Are we going to classify it as a sin? I don't know. I, I, again i'm not I, this is this is an elaborate discussion about what happened what didn't happen how can we understand it on his level on our level it's a it's a very long discussion what we can understand though on a on a basic level is he repented for 22 years for somebody says in the book of psalms my sins are before me constantly he was constantly working on this and and here we have a model of a leader whose ego is not getting in the way whose ego is not just Driving him and blinding him to the realities of, of, of his role. The Jewish role of a king 3,000 years ago from th- mm. has always been about you're about the people. This is the message that Afshalom didn't get. He wanted to be the king. He wanted to, why did he want to be the king? He wanted to be the king. So he says to his children, Never contest the sovereignty of David. Don't forget no, that the, what.
1: Shalom, the, the advisor. Sorry, Achitofel.
0: I meant Achitofel. Achitofel, sorry. I misspoke Achitofel desired to be the king and he desired to be the king for the wrong reasons so Achitofel tells his sons tells his children children before he passes away never contest the sovereignty of David i.e. the hidden message is don't seek leadership for the wrong reasons rather seek it in the context of King David's leadership which is all about humility and lack of ego because if you are trying to change the world for yourself the world better watch out not in a good way. If you're, if, you're, if you're driven by a higher goal, and I have a higher goal that's not about me, but I know that I can influence the world, make the world a better place, I have that, but God has given me that ability to influence. Not at all, I'm going to be a king. No, I, don't, I don't think there are any applications for king of Israel that are open right now. If, if they're hiring, I'll, I'll be the first to let you know. But each of us has the ability to be an influencer and to be a leader in our own families, in our own sphere of influence, in our communities, and in our little corner of the world, our four cubits of the world. And the message is here, recognize that you carry a higher torch. It's not just about you. If it's about you, it could be, it could be a very dangerous experience. If it's about something higher, then, then, then we're on a good, good place. So the, the, king, the, the crown of royalty needs to be given to King David. Don't contest David, i.e., don't contest Selflessness. Don't inject ego into the experience. And the final piece of advice, which is really the first piece of advice, the final one that we'll discuss, is where he tells his children, don't be quarrelers. Don't have machlokas. No quarreling. And that's a key word. Machlokas. Machloket. Quarrel. He said, don't, right? Don't enter a quarrel. I said, that doesn't mean enter a quarrel. Don't be in a quarrel. Machloket is a, is a key word that is connected with what it says in Perk in Ethics of the Fathers. It says that there are some quarrels that are for the sake of heaven and some that are not for the sake of heaven. And a quarrel that was not for the sake of heaven was the rebellion, the revolt of Korach against Moses. It's discussed in the book of Numbers, the book of the, the, book of the Torah that we're actually currently in, in the Torah portion of Korach, um, where he stages a mutiny to overthrow Moses and Aaron and the leadership the not unlike Achitofel Avsham in this case, but he's trying to overthrow. What's he trying to do? So, he says to Moses, why are you guys? Why are you an Aaron? You, you're the leader, and he's the high priest, and there's a whole hierarchy. Kulam Everyone's holy, text 14. You take to, the entire congregation is holy. Why? Who made you in charge of everything? In other words, in the pursuit of We're not talking about wisdom now. We're not talking about leadership. We're talking about meaning and spirituality. He's saying we're all spiritual. He's saying you, Moses, have an incorrect path. Your path is not right. I have the correct path. And the correct path is everyone's equal. Spiritually, everyone's at an equal level. You know, and he had a great idea. Equality for all? Fantastic. Maybe ahead of his time on some level. But he was wrong. You know why he was wrong? Because God put Moses and Aaron in charge. And so if you have an idea of what it means to attain spirituality, but God says otherwise, you know what the message is? You're quarreling. This is a machlokas, she'en elishem shemayim. This is a quarrel that is not for the sake of heaven and ain't soif it's not going to end well. And so he tells his children, don't be a quarreler, i.e. don't, in the pursuit of meaning and spirituality, don't contest God's path. Don't come up, you don't need to come up with your own path of connection. You already have a path. Hashem provides it for you and follow that path. And so in conclusion, what we have here is Achitofel, who is in this moment of recognizing that he has, number one, that he is, a, that he is for, the, for his last few moments of his life a walking tragedy. So much potential, so much brilliance, so much to give to the world and everything coming to an end, to a screeching halt at his own hands. And so he's recognizing this, this profound sense of, of, of misguidedness. And he's come to the conclusion that it all stems back to one, one fatal error. And that is, he got in the way. It was all about him. It was, his wisdom was all about him. His leadership, was all, his, his leadership was all about him. And his pursuit of a spiritual path was all about him. And in life, Torah teaches us, when we submit to something greater than ourselves then we can truly attain greatness and wisdom and leadership and in meaning, spirituality. And we'll conclude with a story. There was once a father and a son who visited England, visited London, and they saw Big Ben. You know what Big Ben is? You know Big Ben. Yeah. No, the quarterback for the Steelers. So they saw Big Ben. And the son asked the father, tell me, why is the clock so high? Hard to see. Everyone has to stretch your necks. Say so things for a moment and listen to the answer they give. I don't think it's a real story, but it's a good story. Nonetheless, it doesn't have to be real to be good. He says to his son, If they put it too low, you know what would happen? What would happen? People change their hands. That's right. People would look at their clocks and say, Oh, Big Ben is wrong. Mm. You put it high enough so that you adjust your clock to it. Mm. This is the message. This is Torah. This is Judaism. Torah sets a standard. God sets a standard. We adjust our clocks to God's time, not the other way around. If it's the other way around, that's tragic. Thank you all for coming today.